Today's interview contains the topic of child abuse and molestation and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Crystal Kemp from Kelso, Washington, and I'm a stay-at-home mom homeschooling two teen girls. We love listening to Compelled because it's such a powerful encouragement to see how God is working in so many lives. When I was very ill a few years ago, God brought Compelled to my attention and used it to remind me and my daughters of His faithfulness and His trustworthiness. Today, you are in for a treat. Enjoy the episode. My mom had drugged my sister into the room. I'm 10, she's eight. Got a knife in my throat, her whiskey breath's in my face. She's telling me we came from hell, we cost her too much money. She didn't want us, my dad didn't want us. You know, we were a huge mistake. We'd be better off dead. I'm Paul Hastings and you're listening to Compelled, a weekly podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for him. This is our season finale, meaning that after today, there will be no more Compelled episodes for quite some time. But we do have some news about when you might expect our fourth season to release. So make sure to listen to the end of our episode for the details. Last week, we heard from Josh and Amy Glasscock. Josh was born with cystic fibrosis, a terminal condition that slowly destroys the lungs. By 34, his health had become so bad that he was at death's door. His only hope for life was a risky lung transplant. But when 10 minutes from his life-saving transplant, the pair of donor lungs ruptured, he was sent reeling. Was this a death sentence? Or was it an unexpected blessing from God? To hear that complete story, tune in to last week's episode with Josh and Amy Glasscock. Today, we'll hear from Ken Freeman, who as a young boy was beaten, molested, and tortured for years. Anyone ever claiming to love him simply wanted to abuse him. But then one day, Ken was introduced to the perfect love of a perfect father, and his life would never be the same. That story coming up right after a word from our sponsors. A few weeks ago, I mentioned my friends at Girl Defined, Kristen Clark and Bethany Beal. Besides their podcast and other online content, they've also written several books for young women, and their latest one is a 60-day devotional coming out next week called Shine Bright, which I'd really encourage any of our female listeners to read. With so much pressure to conform to cultural norms and popular trends, it can be hard for you as a Christian woman to live out your faith each day. That's why you need to stay connected to the source of truth and power. By staying grounded in your relationship with Christ, you'll have the daily strength you need to live boldly as a girl defined by God. Kristen and Bethany's new devotional, Shine Bright, is filled with encouraging verses, relevant topics, questions for reflection, and some good laughs. This 60-day devotional will help you find your entire identity in Christ and will equip you to shine bright. Grab your copy today at girldefined.com slash shine. And if you order your copy before April 29th, you'll also get a ton of other free bonuses like an audiobook, companion journal, and more. Again, that's at girldefined.com slash shine. One last reminder, this is our season finale. And normally we've taken a one-year break between seasons, but we actually have hopes and plans to release our next season much sooner but we do need some help in making that happen. So please stay tuned after our story today for the full details on what's going on and the role that you can play. I sat down with Ken at his home in San Antonio, Texas. The beautiful weather outside stood in stark contrast to the horrible upbringing that he had as a child. Words can hardly describe it. I grew up far from the church. There were churches all around me, but nobody was knocking on my door. Hmm. Nobody was witnessing to us. Nobody invited us to go to VBS or any of that stuff. So I grew up in a, you know, the word dysfunctional would not even come close to describing what I grew up in. 24 different schools, nine stepfathers, um, in jail at 15, suicidal at 10. One of my dad's beat me pretty bad, I'm sure, to teach me something. When he finished, they went to party. I grabbed some aspirins, and I don't know how serious I was. And again, I don't think anybody wants to die. I really believe they want the pain to stop. That's what they're doing. Mm. 
Uh, took my first drink of alcohol at nine. My parents thought it was cute and funny. We had all kinds of parties. Uh, you came to my house, you came to party and pass out. And so we grew up in that environment. My dad, I, I say, was a gutless man in the fact that my dad uh, knew how to make a baby, but didn't want to be a daddy to a baby. And he walked away from me and my sister. And so then my mom was an alcoholic. So I don't know which would have been better if I'd have went with him or stayed with her. But I tell people that I've already been to hell mm. once in many, many different ways. Um, always being the new kid, so I got beat up and bullied at home, beat up and bullied at school. So I grew up with um, a lot of rejection, a lot of hate, a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity. Mm. My mom would go bar hopping. Um, she worked at bars and clubs, and so we'd go bar hopping with her. And how old were you? Uh, I was, oh, we were probably seven, eight, nine years old. And when you say we, who, who is this? My sister. So she's two years younger. We might play shuffleboard or sit at a booth and eat some pretzels or whatever they had there. Eventually, we would go to another bar, and then my mom would forget that she brought us because she was drunk. So we would fall asleep in that bar, and they would lock the bar up. We'd wake up the next day all by ourselves. So, I, you know, I don't know that I can recall on both hands my mom ever being sober. My mom woke up drinking, went to bed drinking. So at our house, I mean, it, it, the abuse was unreal. She would beat us with a belt to leave a mark or a switch if we needed to bleed a little bit. I think a lot of our beatings was because uh, of her anger for my, for my dad, for her ex-husband. I think she was just mad at life and she would see families and whatever. And I kind of probably inherited that as well. So by the time I'm uh, 10, my sister's eight, we got smart. We slept in our school clothes at night. And so from the age of 10 to 15, I slept on a floor next to my baby sister's bed. We're dressed in our clothes. That way, when my mom drove up at two or three in the morning, either from working at a bar or club or partying, if I heard her drive up, I could wake my sister up, if you can imagine this, and we would slip out the back door. Uh, we would hide in a backyard, a garage, a street, an alley, a park. I mean, it's a miracle we didn't get, you know, raped, molested, uh, killed or kidnapped, but it never happened. And then we could slip back in after a couple of hours, knowing my mom would be passed out and we wouldn't get beat up. And this is just a sample of the nightmare that Ken grew up in. Another incident involving one of his mother's ex-boyfriends left Ken scarred for life. She went to party three days and left us with the next boyfriend. And I woke up to my baby sister crying. Now, typically, it was a dream or a nightmare. And if she cried, I cried. So what I would do is get out of my bed, bunk bed, go down and try to tell her something funny. Try to, because I, I, if she cried, I cried. So I didn't want to. But when I looked in the bunk bed, uh, I watched as this guy uh, raped my sister, brutally abused my sister. I probably cussed at him, I yelled at him. My anger turned to fear when he grabbed me by the arm, slung me to the bottom of the bed, and uh, that night he molested me as a seven-year-old. Three days later, my mom comes home. One a few times, we didn't run and hide. We ran into the living room. The dude who did what he did to us, I don't remember his name, was already drinking a bottle of beer. And so we've wrapped our arms around my mom's leg. She was a good-sized woman. When I looked up, I'm thinking, if I can tell my mom what this guy did, my mom's going to kill him. And that's the world we kind of lived in. But when I looked up, my mom was wasted. Now, I knew what it was to have a buzz or a little bit, of, but she was, she was wasted. Kicked us off of her legs. I knew she wouldn't listen to us. He got in the car and left. She fell asleep on her bed, and we fell asleep on the floor. About three days or so later, I went back into my mom's room because I want to tell her what I thought happened. Now, my mom on her nightstand had a warm bottle of whiskey, Jack Daniels, Old Crow, something, and a little shot glass. And that's how my mom started her day. So I waited for her to drink that shot glass. I'm sitting at the end of her bed, seven years old, and I begin to tell my mom what I thought happened. Now, remember, I don't know terms or words. Yeah. I just was letting her know that here's what he did. He hurt me and he hurt Donna, my sister. And next thing I know, we're at the hospital. She, I don't know how we got, she got us there. My sister was physically hurt. Uh. Come to find out my sister was probably molested more times than I'm ever going to know. It happened to me more than once as well. 
we were just living in that in that world, that neighborhood of abuse. Um, the dude, uh, my mom's ex-boyfriend, did go to did go to prison. There was no end in sight, and just three years later, Ken would wake up to another horrible scene. I wake up one night at the age of ten with a knife in my throat. My mom had drugged my sister into the room. I'm 10, she's eight. My mom drags me into the room and got a knife in my throat, her whiskey breath's in my face. She's telling me we came from hell, we cost her too much money. She didn't want us, my dad didn't want us. You know, we were a huge mistake, we'd be better off dead. So I'm 10 years old and, and, and you know, I'm begging, I'm crying. My sister, I think, is hitting my mom a little bit. Finally, my mom is pretty drunk, she passes out on my chest. So my sister crawls up in the bed and and we go to sleep. Two years later, I'm now 12. I come in one night, my mom's passed out on the kitchen floor. When I realize she's out, I roll her over and the knife she held in my throat at 10, I'm now 12. And I run it across her throat, I run it up and down her body. I'm thinking if I could stab her, cut her, if I could do something, it would save me and my sister. Now. I pause here when I speak in schools and I ask the students, did I have a reason to hurt my mom? Well, I did have a reason, but I said, did the reason give me a right? Mm. Because two wrongs never make a right. If you were to ask me, even after this interview, if you were to ask me, hey, why, why didn't you kill her? Why didn't Because I wasn't a Christian. Uh, I can't tell you why. Um, I dropped the knife in the ground. I never cut her. Me and my sister went and sat on the front porch and cried ourselves to sleep. So that's just what we grew up in. And, you know, it was almost kind of normal to hate, you know, the sex that I saw, the drinking that I saw, the uh, all the stuff, the abuse, uh, that's, that was my world. Wow. I drank and smoked and, uh, you know, I was in jail at 15, I vandalized, shoplifted stuff. So, and I really believe if I'd had done drugs, I'd be dead. I wouldn't have made it. I would have been dead, jail, prison, something. So God spared me from that. You mentioned that very rarely was she sober. Were there ever moments, though, when she seemed to show remorse? Oh, yeah. Usually when she was drunk. My mom, it would, it could be a song, country western song she was listening to. It could be a TV show. Uh, she hated her life. She hated what was going on. I mean, we one time we lived in this... <laughs> Garage, basically made into an apartment. It had the kitchen, small little kitchen, and it had a living room. We had one closet and a bathroom, and that's where me, my sister, and two half-brothers lived. Wow. So we lived in really tough places, tough times. I think there were times that maybe she did show remorse, but most of the time it's when she was drunk. Mm. Yeah. Did, did you ever perceive her as being loving towards you? Who? That's a hard question. Um, I mean, so many years. I'm sure there may have been times where she showed us a little bit of love. But like our birthdays and Christmas, uh, I just didn't want them to come. Because when those things came, she drank more. Mm. So I dreaded. Wow. You know, she'd carry a little flask in her purse if we went to a movie. or So she's drinking while we're, by the time we're done, she's drunk. I learned how to drive uh, one night. I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, maybe four, uh, somewhere in there. Um, she was passed down on the passenger side, and one of her husbands, he pulls over in a ditch. He's passed out. So I get up in front, shove him over, and drive us home. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I moved to Texas with the stepdad and my two little half-brothers. Not, um, with, not with your mom? Not with my mom. My mom stayed in St. Louis. My sister began to run the streets. So I left to come with him. I thought it would be a better deal. Well, little did I know he got married. And to the woman they got married to, I had a couple kids. But she was just like my mom. Oh, man. She, she began to beat me. And after a few months, I just got tired of it. I don't advocate this, but it's a choice that I made, probably one of the best choices I ever made. I ran away. I went in, I packed my suitcase, and I don't know I really ran away. I just said, I'm not living here anymore, and I left. And how old were you? I was uh, 15, 16. 
And so I only lived in the street for a couple of days. <laughs> I was, I'm a baby. But all of a sudden, I started living with more families. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they wanna do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Word got around that Ken needed a place to stay. And soon, Ken would spend a few nights at one friend's house and then a few nights at someone else's house. It was during this season while Ken was couch surfing that a friend of his named Jeff, who played on the high school football team, began inviting him to church. Now, I don't want to go to church. I hate the church. I've robbed churches, broken churches. My thinking is, if there's a loving God, why would he allow all these things to happen in my life. And so I, I told him, give me two good reasons why to go to church. And he said, you know, girls and food. He said, there's going to be girls there. And gonna... So I was into chicks and chicken. Okay. So I'm thinking, I'm going. Okay. I'm going to check this out. Yeah. So I go to church. My first time to ever go. So I see the girls, but I don't see any food. And so I asked Jeff, I said, dude, where's the food? He said, well, we ain't eating till after the service. So now I'm stuck. Well, I was going to sit on the back row, and it's a Baptist church, and I, and I found out quickly in a Baptist church, you want to get a back seat, you got to get there four or five days early to get a back seat. <laughs> so everybody laughs at that. Yeah, yeah. And it was packed. There's probably 800, 1,000 people there, and they were having what you call a revival or something. So I'm now walking down the aisle, and I've never been to a church service, and I'm following Jeff. And I'm thinking, we're passing up some seats. I'm thinking we're going to sit on the front row. We walk up on the stage, and I join the youth choir. My first time to ever go to church. You're standing in the youth choir. I'm in the choir. Lost is a day as long. So Jeff gets me there. He puts me right in the middle, and I felt like the football because these other two guys, I felt like they were guarding me. And so um, service begins. It's like culture shock for me. It's like foreign to me, like Greek to me. You've never been to a church service your whole life. Mm -mm. I was 16 years old. Man. So the music guy, he finishes, the preacher gets up yelling and screaming, you're going to go to hell. And I came for fruit food. And now we're going to hell. And 
And when he said, you're going to go to hell, they said, amen. And I asked Jeff, I said, I'm in the choir, said, I know amen's a prayer deal, but what does that mean? It means we we agree, so be it. I'm thinking, so we voted to go to hell, or we're going to go before we eat. I'm asking dumb questions, because I don't understand this stuff. This guy just went off. And um, and I'm in the choir, and he's pointing out there to the congregation, so I'm cool. I'm good. And uh, he, he would say something like, some of you have been justified, and they, they clapped, amen, they were happy. And some of you have been sanctified, man, they're... I was petrified because I had no idea what he was talking about. And then finally, he, he quit pointing to the congregation, and he turned around and pointed to the choir. And he, and he stepped right up to the choir, and he pointed right at me. He said, some of you right at me have been convicted. Now, he could have pointed to anybody, but he pointed at me. And I raised my hand. Jeff grabbed my arm. He said, dude, what are you doing? I said, dude, I've been to jail a couple of times. He said, I've been convicted, so I was just... It was an automatic response. Nobody raised their hand but me. And then I asked Jeff, I said, did you tell him I've been to jail? And he said, I didn't tell him nothing. I said, this guy's good. <laughs> and that's not what he was talking about when he was talking about conviction. Sure. And so, so now he's got my attention. He preached a little more. And then he said, we're going to have an invitation. Now I'm thinking we're all going to go to a party before we go to hell. That's what I thought of his invitation. So we got our heads bowed, but I'm kind of peeking. Because I'm thinking, somebody's going to come get me out of the choir. And I'm just peeking a little bit. And by the way, the football player, Jeff, I'd never heard anybody pray for me, uh, began to pray for me. I heard him. He's praying, God, would you save Ken Freeman? And I didn't know what that meant. I knew it was a good thing. I just didn't know what it meant. And so finally, the, the preacher said, hey, are you tired of running? He, where our heads are bowed. And, you know, I wanted to cuss at that point because I, I ran from everything. I didn't know I was running from God, but I ran from the law, from stepdads, from all kinds of abuse. I ran from kids at school that were going to beat me up. He said, if you're tired of running, stand up. So I stood. Now, in the congregation, there were probably over 100 or more people that stood up, not just teenage, but teenagers, but adults. But I'm the only one in the choir standing. And then all of a sudden, people around me are crying. I think they've been praying for me. They knew, most of them knew about me. So I'm now standing. He said, now if you're standing, come forward. So I'm stepping out from the choir. Now there were other counselors and pastors and people are coming, but I made sure I got in front of that. His name is Freddie Gage, well-known out of Houston. He's passed away now, great evangelist. Uh, very, very, no jokes, no humor. I mean, just kind of hellfire and damnation almost, but but he loved seeing people saved. So I got right in front of him and he put his finger in my face. He said, son, do you know you're a sinner? I, I wanna say, no, I'm Billy Graham, I fooled you. And, <laughs> and I jokingly say that, I said, sir, I don't know what I am. I said, but I've got no father, I've got no family. I said, the only friend I got, I said, you see that guy up there in the choir? And he said, oh yeah, that's Jeff. So they knew each other. So I'm thinking this is a conspiracy. Yeah. And that was probably not true. And I said, what does he have? He said, well, he's a Christian. I said, well, how do I get that? I mean, I would have smoked it, took a pill, drank something. He said, um, well, I'm going to take you to the Roman road. <laughs> and I, thinking to myself, I'm not getting in a car and going with you anywhere. I didn't know what Roman road was. The Roman road. Yeah, the Roman road, which is the book of Romans. Yeah. So we sat down. He opened up to the book Bible to the book of Romans, so now I'm feeling better. Yeah. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We were born according to Ephesians 2. We were born dead. Ephesians 2.1, you were born dead. Ephesians 5.8, we were born dark. We were darkness before we were saved. Not in it, like it, of it. We were darkness. But Romans 3.23 says we've all messed up. And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. Then he went from Romans 3.23 to Romans 5.8. But God, there's that but God, but God demonstrated his love, even while Ken Freeman, he put my name in there, even while Ken Freeman was messing up, God still loved you, demonstrated his love by sending his son to die for you. Now, I didn't understand all this stuff, but I said, why would he die for me? I mean, my own family didn't want me. He said, because that was God's purpose, for God so loved the world. Man, that's you. Man, he loves you. He's got a plan for you. I believe I have a message. God's got a plan, a purpose, and a blueprint for your life, as well as the devil has a plan, purpose, and blueprint for your life. You just choose. 
So that night, he went from Romans 5, 8, went to Romans uh, 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die. And I said, yeah. I said, I believe I'm going to die. He said, let me say this. The wages of our sin, we, we're, we're all, we deserve hell. But by the grace of God, we can have heaven. We can have an eternal life. So, and I really believe that the Holy Spirit, and I didn't know it then, was working in my life. I think Jeff praying for me, the family I lived with, all of that. Then he went to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you can believe in your heart, and confess with mouth that Jesus is Lord and is raised from the dead. He said, you can be saved. Then he went to Romans 10, 13. Whosoever, which is all of us, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God knows my heart. He knew my heart that I didn't understand everything, but I was sorry for my life. I was sorry for the, for the girls I went to bed with, the people I drank with, the people I stole from. I was sorry for that. He knew that. And man, there's a brokenness. I never cried in front of people, but that night I did. And I asked him to forgive me and I asked him and I said, hey, I believe that you're Lord. I believe that you're in control. Now, and I want you to understand, I these words are coming out and I don't even, <laughs> I'm just telling you, it had to be God hmm. for me to, to confess that. And I said, I want to thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me, dying for me. And I want to call you Lord. So that night, October of 1968, on a Wednesday night on Furman Street in Corpus Christi, Texas, first time I ever went to church in my life, um, I got saved. Jeff bought me a Bible. Um, he, was, he threw papers, so he let me throw papers with him and paid me a little money. So I spent a lot of time with him. And uh, it was, you know, so it was pretty cool. You know, that was on Wednesday. Well, we went back to church Thursday, Friday, and Saturday because it was a revival thing. I'm thinking I found the only church that meets seven days a week. <laughs> and uh, but I began to, you know, Jeff went to several of my drinking friends, and he and he pointed to me. He said, "You see that guy? If I see any of you guys inviting him to a party, I'm going to beat y'all up." in the name of Jesus. I mean, he just was, he was adamant. Wow. He says, man, God loves you guys, but that's no longer who he is. So God took the desire of alcohol away pretty quick. Now I smoked a little, I still cussed a little, but the more I grew in my faith, the more the, my heart changed, the language changed, my desires changed. I got new addictions. I got addicted to the word of God. I got addicted to church. I got it. So the addictions changed for me. And that was the beginning of a new Ken Freeman. Instead of despair, Ken's life was filled with hope. Instead of fear, there was peace. But Ken still had a share of struggles and challenges ahead of him. There was still the baggage from a lifetime of abuse that had to be unpacked. Two years later, Ken was unofficially adopted by one of the families from the church and moved to San Antonio, Texas with them. It was during this season of life as a 17-year-old that he had an eye-opening conversation with his unofficial adoptive father about the source of some of his ongoing struggles. I said, Malcolm, why is it that when I see dads and their sons or when I see families, I want to smoke a cigarette, drink a beer, put my fist to a wall? Hmm. And he looked at me and said this, I'll never get it. Again, February 7th, 1970, 1102 Melissa Drive, right here in San Antonio. He said, do you love your mom and dad? And I said, if my parents walked through the front door of your home and I owned a pistol, I'd blow their brains out. Wow. Said, I hate them. So he took me to scripture and it's Colossians 3, and I believe it's verse like 11, 12, 13. And here's what he said, until you're willing to forgive your mom and dad and love them like God's forgiven you and loves you, you'll never be free. My last name is Free Man. Mm, wow. So that night, the scripture that he read, it's in Colossians says that we're to forgive others because Christ forgave us. You also read in Mark, Mark says that when you go to pray, if you got ought against a brother, don't even think about praying. Get right with that brother, then pray. So that night, um, I cried, they cried, they prayed over me, and I remember saying, God, would you give me a love for my mom and dad? Now, at this point, I hadn't seen my dad probably in 16 years, somewhere right in there. My mom, I just hated because of all the, all the abuse and stuff. And so I said, God, I want you to give me a love for them like you love me, yeah. and I want to be able to forgive them like you've forgiven me. And he did. 
You know, the night I was saved, it was like a, a backpack was cut off my back. The night that I forgave my mom and dad, which, I still had a backpack on. That backpack of hate, rejection, guilt, all of that. And he'd already forgiven me of that stuff. God had, mm. but I was holding it. So I called my mom. My mom was a little drunk, wasn't wasted, so I said, Mom, I'll make you some coffee, and she did. I could tell as we talked, she was sobering up. I said, Mom, I want you to know that no longer do I hate you. I said, God loves you, I love you, and I need you to forgive me for hating you. Now, my mom goes, well, shouldn't I ask you to? I said, Mom, I've already forgiven you. I'm not, I'm not worried about that, but I need you to forgive me. Of course, she did. The night I called my mom, I found out where my dad was in California. So I called long distance. The operator answered and said, sir, um, this number's unlisted. And I said, ma'am, you don't understand. And I began to tell her my story. Yeah. And I said, I need to talk to my dad. At this point, I hadn't talked to him in 16 years or seen him. I think the last time I was like four. And so I began to tell her my story. And she said, well, sir, I can put you through, but if I do... I could get in trouble. Now, I tell people, don't do this, but it worked for me. I said, ma'am, if you don't put me through to my dad, I said, God might hurt you. Okay. That's all I had. <laughs> okay. That's all I had. Okay. Next thing I know, the phone rings. My dad answered the phone. Now, I didn't know it was him because I didn't know his voice. And I said, my name is Kenneth Wayne Freeman. I'm looking for James Arthur Freeman. He said, you got him. He said, what do you want? And he said, he's got other kids from marriages and whatever. And I said, um, well, first of all, I'd love to see you again. I'd love to see if we could rekindle something. I said, but the main reason I'm calling you is I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. God's changed my life. And I said, you know, I just talked to mom and like, like you, I've hated you as much as I hated her. And I said, you don't have to forgive me. I said, that's going to be up to you. But I want you to know that my heart is, I want you to know that I love you, praying for you, want the best for you. I'm not asking you for money or anything. Just would you forgive me? And he hung up. He hung up on you. About three weeks later, I got a letter. And I got four pictures. I kept the four pictures. I've got them over here. And um, I kept the four pictures that he sent me. And the letter said, Ken, uh, I'm, not your, I'm not your dad. You're not my son. Stay out of my life. Oh, man. Oh, man, dude. Now... I'm forgiven, though. I did the right thing. Now, does it hurt? The answer is yes. It does hurt. For 14 years, um, I loved on my mom as best I could. My mom worked in bars and clubs, so I would go and sit in the bar. I would drink a Coke or Dr. Pepper, pretzels, and and my mom could see that my life changed. Mm. The cigarettes, the, the language, the alcohol, all of it's gone. And uh, for 14 years, um, I loved on my mom, and... At the age of 52, 14 years after this, at the age of 52, uh, I watched her eyes lose blood, her skin turn yellow, watched her body bloat, and my mom died from cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. To my knowledge, I can't tell you my mom's in a better place. Mm. I, you hope, but I don't know that my mom ever made the right choice. Like Ken mentioned, he doesn't know where his mother will spend her eternity. And this is the reality of life. There isn't always a fairy tale ending or the closure that we would want. But Ken is grateful that he knows where he will spend his. And that's a message he is driven to share with others. Shortly after the night Ken forgave his parents, he entered the ministry. Over the years, he served as a worship leader and a youth pastor. But he's found his deepest joy by sharing his story as a traveling evangelist, something he's now done for the last 38 years. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador, but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. 
or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. I should be a wife beater, mm. a child abuser, a drug user, and I should be an alcoholic. But 51 years ago, a family let me live on their couch. A football player got me to go to church, and I got saved. Wow. Uh, those who have been wounded deeply, God will use greatly. God can take a mess and make it a message. Wow. I've done 20,000 school assemblies, and I could tell you countless people who've come up to me, students going, man, I just didn't think anybody knew mm. could hurt like I hurt. That's why I wrote Toilet Bowl Christianity. I was at a camp in Jacksonville, Florida, backstage probably a thousand students. The band is out leading worship. And I'm getting ready to come out and I'm going to tell my story again, which I didn't want to do. I'd rather preach than tell my story, even though it's, it's just tough sometimes. And, um, so I'm back there kind of fighting with God a little bit. Finally, God spoke to me. He said, dude, I gave you the story. So that night I'm, and so the bands, they're running out of songs. And I said, I'm not ready. So finally, uh, they, I don't know if they got to Kumbaya or pass it on or something. But <laughs> So I come out and come up on the stage, about a thousand people. And I said, you know, I'm going to share my story today. I don't want to, but I'm going to. said, many of you have heard my story. The nine stepfathers, 24 different schools, um, five different high schools my last year, sexually, physically, abused every way you could be, lived in bars and cars, no dad in my life, none, I said, I want to, before I preach or before I share, I want to ask a couple of questions. How many of y'all, when you hear my story, the hell that I grew up in, the abuse, all how many of y'all, when you hear mine and you look at your story, how many of y'all think, dude, I got a crappy story? How many of y'all think that? Every one of them raised their hands. I said, put them down. I said, can I say this to you before I share my story tonight? If I was choosing a story, you think I'd choose mine or yours? Somebody yelled out, you'd choose ours. I said, you're right. So I tell people, don't apologize for your story. All of us have a story. Now, God took a, a gory thing and made it into a glory thing for me. And God will take your good story and make it even a, a better story. 
the older you get. God's going to use you, and you'll be able to relate to people maybe I can't relate to, where I'm going to relate to others. And so I want you to know that Revelations 12, 11 says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony. The testimony. And so by our testimony. So your testimony is as valid as mine. Hmm. Don't ever... Man, if you got saved at eight from stealing cookies, I'm glad for you. Yeah. What would you say for someone who, a listener here, who they were abused as a child? Um, you know, every six minutes in America, there's a murder. Every eight minutes in America, there's a rape. It used to be 90. It's now 16. Every 16 minutes in America, there's a suicide. Children under the age of four or five will be beaten to death by somebody they love. Years ago, the statistics said one of four homes has incest within their homes. That's the world that we're living in. And I would tell you that if you've been abused, whether it's physically, sexually, verbally, emotionally, whatever the abuse is, I would just tell you, you don't deserve it, number one. Number two, that's not what you were created for. Number three, if if that's where you are, and you're and the the hate is there, the rejection, you're you, uh, the because I was suicidal, depressed, uh, self esteem, I had nothing. I would encourage you. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you, man, get to church, get Jesus in your life. Uh, that's, but I would say this for you that even if you don't know Jesus, for you that do or don't. You need to get to somebody. Now, when I say somebody, uh, I would tell you, get to a Christian counselor. This is why. I believe a Christian counselor is going to help you with your spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. A secular counselor, I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that they can't be used, but they don't necessarily deal with the spiritual. They will deal with the emotional baggage and the physical. But a lot of, we're also in a spiritual battle. And I would just tell you this, that God can use you. God can take your mess like he's done with me and make it a message. You know, here's what I tell people. We're always feeding and starving something. If you feed lies, you're starving the truth. If you feed hate, you're starving love. If you feed the addictions to whether it's drinking, drugs, then you're starving peace of mind. And so... What if you really want to live, you've got to feed the right thing. Mm. And so I would encourage you get to a counselor, get to a minister, get to somebody. And for me, the the family that I lived with in San Antonio, they we were always in counseling. We were always praying, we were always in scripture. And so a lot of that brought healing in my life. Now I mentioned earlier that not every story has a happy fairy tale ending. But in Ken's case, one of the stories he shared earlier in this episode has an ending that only God could orchestrate. And it involves Ken's father, the one who told Ken all those years ago to stay out of his life. I went to go see my dad. Now, this is 28 years later, you know, where he had hung up on me, wrote me that letter. At this point, I hadn't seen him in 42 years. Wow. I'm now 46. So my youngest son was on a mission trip or he would have been with us. So we flew to San Francisco. I cried probably the whole way. Landed, and um, this is uh, July the 10th, and then on, I think, July the 11th, on Saturday, we drove over to San Leandro, 45 minutes away. Did he know you were coming? No. No. uh But I found out where he lived. Knocked on a door, a woman, I guess his wife, Maxine, opened the door and invited us in. And there stood my dad. Now... I really, and of course I'm crying already, but I think my dad wanted me to slug him, shove him, cuss him, something. You could tell, I could sense, because he started crying. And I went over and hugged him. And I said two things. I said, first, I said, I'm here because God loves you. And I believe I already got one, one parent in hell, possibly. I don't want two. Hmm. And I uh, want you to know that I've forgiven you, love you. I, you know, I said, Dad, you remember 28 years ago, you hung up on me and wrote me a pretty bad letter. I still have the pictures. And I said, do you realize the last time I saw you was four? I'm now 46. And this is your oldest grandson. 
So we sat down, he cried, couldn't even look at me. So for 10 hours, for 10 hours, I'm telling him my story, but he couldn't even look at me. And uh, so we finished, loved on him. I had to leave because I had to fly out the next day to start a camp. So as we're leaving, uh, he's still crying. Maxine walks me out. She said, I've been married to your dad 47 years. I've never seen your dad cry for anything or anybody. For the next six years, from 98 to 2004, I've sent my dad Father's Day card. I sent him my first book. Uh, I sent him scriptures and and all that for six years, from 98 to 2004. In 2004, I get a call from Maxine. Uh, She said, your dad's 78 years old, has throat cancer, bone cancer. He's got five months to live. We flew in on Memorial Day, which is a Monday. June 1st, on Tuesday, we drive over back to San Leandro. He liked Kentucky Fried Chicken. I bought him a box of chicken. So we're all sitting down there. And I said, Dad, you know, you got throat cancer, bone cancer. You got five months, maybe five months, maybe five minutes, maybe five years. And I said, if you died, would you go to heaven? He said, well, I deserve hell. And I said, we all deserve hell. All of us deserve. That's why it's called the grace of God. Dad, there's nothing you can do or can't do. God's not going to love you. He loves you. So we go back. He lays down on the bed. He's getting ready to do his morphine stuff. I'm kneeling next to my dad, and uh, I said, Dad, you know, man, you just need Jesus. And so and so on June 1st, 2004, I led him to the Lord. And he cried a second time. Only other time he's crying. He's holding my hand. He pulls me close. And he says two or three things. First thing he says is, um, and his voice is raspy, kind of like mine. He said, I've never, if this is what being saved is, he said, I'm at peace right now. I got peace. He said, I don't even understand all, but I believe that that he saved me. I said, all right. Then he pulled me close and he said a second thing. He said, I've been meaning to tell you for six years that I'm sorry for not being in your life. And he's crying. And the third thing he said is, he said, I bet you, you would have been a great son. I prayed with him. We had to leave uh, the next day as well. It wasn't five months. Twelve days later, my dad died in his sleep. Twelve days later. Twelve days later. Because of that, I'm able to help others quit hating and forgive. My dad will never know how God used that in a great way. If there is anyone who should be mad at God, it should be Ken Freeman. Ken didn't choose the horrible childhood that he had, the abuse, neglect, the misuse. His upbringing was shaped by the effects of sin in a broken world. But there were two things that Ken did choose. He chose to place his faith in Jesus Christ, and he chose to use his story to testify to the addicted and the afflicted about how God saved him and changed him. And then, you know, I love what Ken shared, that those who have been wounded deeply, God can use greatly, and that God can turn any mess into a message. And that is so true for Ken Freeman. God has used Ken's testimony to bring thousands of people to Christ. In fact, Ken is the same evangelist who led David Benham to faith in Jesus. And you might actually remember that story in episode 32 in our interview with the Benham brothers. Ken would love to speak to your church. To book him or see if he's speaking near you, visit his website at kenfreeman.com or by visiting compelledpodcast.com and looking up our show notes. And if you would like an autographed copy of either of Ken's books, Toilet Bowl Christianity or Choices 101, then enter our drawing this week on the show notes page. Now, as you remember, this is the final episode of season three. And historically, we have taken a one-year break in between each of our podcast seasons. And that's basically a function of time and money. Each episode that we release takes us around 35 to 40 hours to create. That includes recording, editing, producing, and more. But we believe that every story is worth it. God has worked in miraculous ways to shape and transform lives. And his stories are worth telling with excellence. You know, we've been blessed that at the end of each of our seasons, we have received donations that have allowed us to create the next season. And if God allows us to, we hope to release our next season this fall, actually, in just a few months. 
We've already received two excellent stories that we hope to bring to life that we've already recorded. The first guest is Hormaz Shariat, an Iranian who chanted death to America during the Iranian Revolution, but who was then transformed by Jesus Christ. Today, he operates a 24-7 satellite broadcast into Iran, sharing the gospel with six million viewers. His journey of faith is just simply incredible. The other guest that we've already interviewed is Evelyn Husband Thompson. Her husband was the commander of the Space Shuttle Columbia in 2003. Then minutes before touchdown, the Columbia exploded in Earth's atmosphere, killing all crew members. And Evelyn's faith was stretched to the limits. And we're also looking at eight other great guests that we would love to interview and we hope to start recording this summer. To finish making our fourth season, we need to raise around $13,000. And thankfully, we've already received around $5,000 from our listeners. I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider making a contribution to Compelled so that we can create our next podcast season. Every week, thousands of people listen to Compelled across the world. We've received tons of feedback from people whose lives have been touched and graced by these powerful stories that we're sharing, and we really want to share more. You can financially support Compelled by either joining us as a monthly member or by making a one-time donation at compelledpodcast.com slash donate. Again, that's compelledpodcast.com slash donate. This episode was produced by me and my wife, Sarah Hastings. Our editor is Zach Fowler. Our production intern is Ethan Adams. And our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Facchino. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We hope to be back this fall with another compelling story. See you soon. One last thing before I go, if you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th. And there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com events. And I hope to see you there.